Welcome to the Run In My Mouth podcast. I'm your host, Carly Sauer, aka Coach Carly. We need to discuss common life issues together in an open, unfiltered, free environment. Running, family, work, religion, travel, general exercise, politics, relationships, self-help and development, you name it, we tackle it head on. Expect to laugh, to be intrigued, to waste a bit of your time, to learn a little something, to feel some nostalgia, and to leave inspired. Most importantly, crack open a cold one with me, or a hot one, or go for a run, or whatever suits your fancy. Let's go get her done. Welcome back to the Run In My Mouth podcast. I'm your host, Coach Carly, aka Carly Sauer, and we've got today a lovely and super intelligent running guest with tons of history and background. I cannot wait to delve into all of these facets here. Got Brian Rossetti. He is a longtime runner, coach, and tech entrepreneur. He founded the Run Smart Project and V.O2, the coaching app for runners of all levels. If you have ever trained with me uh, through our company or privately, you know V.O2 very well. So today we'll provide lots and lots of clarity. Brian, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for that lovely intro. <laughs> You're so welcome. I'm very, very <laughs> excited for this chat. So see a lot of a lot of superlatives coming your way, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> thanks um, and con- congrats on the the kiddo. I know these are especially challenging the the schedule um, when you factor oh, that yeah. in. Oh yeah, I know. It's so funny, right? Like. I don't know. Life, it's a wonderful change, right? But it's just so different. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> yeah. You've got, least. what, two kids? Yeah, I've got two. Um, so it's, especially when, when I started our podcast, it was during the pandemic. So yep. okay. the kids were virtual, and it was just... Yeah, just recording podcasts is tough, but just knowing from when I started during the pandemic, um, having kids, especially when they were home in school virtually, it's just so hard to to kind of juggle and get two people on at the same time in a quiet, you know, environment <laughs> and avoid disruptions. I had mother-in-law visiting who was like tiptoeing down the hall. <laughs> quiet but I'm like <laughs> like trying to be quiet like laughing inside like this is crazy. oh gosh what world are we living in and then um <laughs> yeah it's always I mean it's always I've lived I've got a big public school that's behind me like two blocks behind me so every time they come out to the oh yeah that's loud chaos. um so yep anyway. I know what it's like, but you're you're in the thick of it. How old is your is your child now? Is it? Yeah. Um, so we have a little girl. She just turned 14 months. So we hit the one year in August, and uh, yeah, now we're just sort of trucking into toddlerdom. <laughs> Congrats. Um, Thank you. It's it's definitely madness, and I will say we, for better or for worse, have decided to add to the madness, and we've got baby number two. Cook it. So we're, oh, we're wow. just, we're just going crazy over here. We're like, <laughs> knock them out. Carly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, um, just, you know, let's, let's do it. Right. If this is the time, then this is the time. It sounds like you have a napper though. So that, 
that that helps a ton obviously yes so. yes i agree she dropped the second nap really early and i was nervous because everyone's like oh that shouldn't happen until you know she's hitting a year or so i'm like well she dropped the second nap at like six or seven months and i was like oh no but she takes one like giant you know now it's like midday it used to be late morning now it's just like a midday giant snooze which is honestly quite great you know because i can have that chunk of time yeah i think that's almost better right because every the double nap is always hard to navigate just in terms yeah of your day <laughs> and so the longer nap that's great i mean our fir first child barely napped and really up during the night for two years oh geez yeah oh that sounds like one of my sisters yeah it's tough Oh my gosh, it was. You can never like get in a groove, right? That's like a really, <laughs> really hard scenario. I mean, that's when, funny enough, I wasn't a, a coffee drinker until then, until JoJo. Really? <laughs> she wasn't going to sleep the night for two years. So it was so oh hard and productive. It was just kind of like you were in a haze. Yeah. Time, you know? Um, yep. Then I fell yep. in love with coffee. So. yeah <laughs> what do you have like a specific brand that you drink i know there's a lot of like niche coffee uh roasters who have popped up in the last like five ten years um i'm not in new york anymore um but okay i do come back to the city every um wednesday still to do some coaching with the club okay i've just maintained that relationship and um i go right to blue bottle um, oh perfect fun i'm a coffee snob i guess so. yeah <laughs> like i just did a pour over i usually do pour over in the morning there's a co-op just around the corner from us and they get a lot of cool like independent um roasters so uh, yeah oh that's I'm in, fun i'm in philly now so i'm exploring a lot of the different um local options so yeah Yep. Yeah, I think that's like the fun way to do it. I've unfortunately not gotten like, you know, too grass. We're in, you know, the suburbs in Jersey now, and I haven't gotten like too grassroots with that sort of stuff just because we literally, you know, moved out here, pregnant, baby, pregnant. <laughs> so I don't, don't have the, you know, the real flexibility there. Um, but I have been ordering some online from different places. And so I've done, uh, you know, just different like veteran owned places that I've heard of from friends who are veterans and mm -hmm. um, a couple out of Brooklyn. And I've actually done the Brooklyn Brewing Company, I think it is their beer making kit. I got that for my husband for a holiday last year. So I've been, you know, yeah, like through the pandemic, yeah. just really trying to focus on small businesses, right? Not just like ordering everything off Amazon and stuff, but really looking up, you know, more local um you know small businesses that we can support because honestly they're usually better right <laughs> so yeah, it's usually so. better quality i actually pivoted a bit um because i usually do two cups um one in the morning and then one in the afternoon which i think is okay pretty minimal compared to most people oh, yeah so i agree um, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen online like this this alternative uh, mud water. I think it's fairly. Yes. 
brand. So I think I saw it like a 50 times that, you know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Got me finally. And um, so I was like, I'll try it. Like, I like the idea of getting off it in the afternoon. Maybe I'll sleep better. Um, yeah. Maybe. So I liked what's in it. Like it has, you know, mushroom powder and cinnamon and turmeric and cardamom mm-hmm. and ginger. So I'm like thinking, well, it sounds very anti-inflammatory and I'm not a tea guy. So it's, it's essentially yeah. um, masala chai and I put milk in it, sometimes honey. And um, it's not, I think it's like one seventh the amount of caffeine. Um, so you don't get that like kick, but I also don't get like the jittery. Um, it, it's a little bit more stable, the energy. So I feel yeah. Makes sense. I feel better drinking it. I don't like love it, but it, it makes it feel <laughs> better in terms of the ingredients. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, th- I think it's, I'm kind of mixed on it. Does I just, it taste good? Well, you got to dress it up. Like it's, okay. Okay. I mean, it's kind of hard to mix. And then you can make it taste good. I mean, you could put in oat milk and honey and whatever. Yeah. Okay. Add make like a makeshift latte kind of exactly yeah so yeah or you could add a couple shots of espresso to it well, <laughs> i'm just kidding that's the purpose but I, I, like, I, I like the idea um and so yeah so but i'm like kind of back and forth like sometimes like i'll go pick up the kids around three from the bus stop down the street and and the coffee shop's right there so um, so anyway, that's kind of where I'm at with, with the coffee. Yeah, I think I definitely got on my husband's case a couple of weeks ago because he said that he needs like three or four cups of coffee. It was some like, in my mind, like astronomical number of, of cups of coffee every day. And uh, he had only had like one. Mm. And so I was like, are you seriously saying that you can't function? <laughs> like, I don't. I don't understand, you know, this thing. Cause you know, for me with pregnancy and, and nursing and everything, like, yeah, I can have a little bit of coffee, but not, not much, you know? Um, so, and you know, I say, can't, I choose not to. Right. Um, I know some people do have, have their normal amount, but yeah, I said to him, I was like, I had to make a massive adjustment, you know, of like not really drinking it at all. And you need four cups of coffee a day. Like I think that's a little excessive. And he was like, can you just let me have it? <laughs> that's, that's my thing. I'm like, okay, sorry. I was definitely like in that nagging mode, you know, <laughs> I was like, that's, all right, I'll back off. I'm done. <laughs> I know the same dynamic with, I had the same dynamic with my wife before I was a coffee drinker. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like I would get annoyed by the excessive and there was the same reaction. Like, can't you just let that's that's my thing. Can't you just let me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, a, that's what an addict says, you know. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, so, and she and she'd be like, I just like it, you know. It's, yeah. Uh, it's gonna be my thing, you know. And uh, yeah, that's so funny. Now, now I'm in the same boat. You know? Yeah, I mean, it could be worse, right? It could be there. Could be worse things. Sure. <laughs> like, that's kind of like where I left it and I said to him I was like all right there could be worse options here so we can move forward don't worry (laughs) yeah and I think what I'm trying to do with the mud water is just like kind of find that balance with with everything else like 
I don't like that I'm that addicted to it. Um, I do get anxiety from mm, it. That yep. I okay. More and more like, oh, that's annoying. You know? Yeah. Like, like looking for it, even though I don't need it sometimes. Totally. I gotcha. And that's annoying. So I'm like trying to, I do really enjoy it in the morning and that's not going away. So. Um, yeah, I think it's almost like a like a ritual, like a habitual ritual type of a thing, you know, like even when I, you know, I'm feeling super sick and like can't have it, you know, like in the beginning of a pregnancy or something, I still brew it. <laughs> like, yeah, like I still will use like a Keurig or something and brew a small cup just so the, the aroma's there, you know. Yeah, um, I just love like you talked about the ritual, like the afternoon, like walking to the coffee shop and. I love being in a coffee shop, even Me if it's too. five minutes. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the atmosphere and the look at the the baked goods and uh, yeah. like, that looks good. I'm not yeah. going to get it, but I, I just <laughs> being in there, you know? Um, yeah. Oh, that's great. I feel the same way. Some, there's something about a coffee shop vibe. I always used to work in coffee shops in college. I found it very, I don't want to say easy to be productive, but it was like soothing you know strangely yeah it's awesome okay. yeah you're getting hopped up on caffeine but it's like sleepy time too <laughs> little little oxymoron um but yeah that's that's great I think the more you can find enjoyment in the little things even if it's just a cup of coffee is just so powerful especially through the last you know going on three years that we've had as a society you know and our country and then in the world where if you can just find those little tiny pieces of enjoyment it makes life so different yeah and I think that's I mean I totally agree I, th I think that's where or why running has been kind of a constant mm -hmm. me too like that mental sanity whether I'm you know, my background is more like competitive and that was my, purely my motivation, you know, for such a long time. And then it was hard transitioning away from that. Yeah. It was like a hard breakup from the sport. And now it's kind of interesting because it's like a deeper appreciation for the sport because of, you know, the, the benefits and how it provides sort of balance and mental sanity. Um, so that appreciation is kind of, it's been nice. That's kind of happened to me over the last few years. Um, yeah. What was your, you, I mean, you ran in college, right? Yeah. So I ran at St. Joe's actually in Philly. So, um, okay. Oh, so you're really familiar with Philly. Cool. Yeah. I didn't grow up here. I grew up not too far in Scranton. Of all places. Okay. Um, of all places. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, not too far. I'm familiar with New yep. York and Philly as a kid. Scranton's kind of cool, if you, you could say that. It's kind of cool in, in that way and, and that we kind of grew up near Philly and New York. So Totally. Yeah, it's accessible. Exposed to um, city living or, you know, culture or people from mm -hmm. So it was nice. But um, so, yeah, I went to school in Philly had a you know a good career and then I actually continued I was kind of like sort of in between you know I'm definitely going to continue running competitively or 
you know, does it, is it silly? Should I just kind of, <laughs> my thing was that I just kept improving. So I sought out opportunities to keep training. Yeah. That makes sense. Job. So, yeah. So I, I trained at Zap Fitness, which is a group. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Um, no. Are they in Pennsylvania? No, they're in North Carolina. Okay. Uh, again, another strange place in Western North Carolina. Um, very different than the, North, yeah. the Northeast. It's in the mountains. Um, we're upstated, Appalachian. Oh, right, right. Okay. Yep. That's a really beautiful area, though. You know, it's like, Gorgeous. I don't know. Yeah, being able to train there. I mean, it's got to be challenging to say the least, but beneficial, obviously. Yeah, that's why I was there. Um, for whatever reason, the founder didn't want to be out west. Um, I think there are there are okay. places, um, but he chose this this spot in particular to be, I guess, on the east coast. Um, it's it's nice. It's in the mountains. It's not quite significant or impactful elevation in terms of the benefits of altitude, but okay the hill training was just I mean we would go on brutal you do six miles sort of uphill the whole way um, oh my gosh yeah like not crazy grade where you're kind of doing switchbacks and things like that where it was just the steady you know climb Ugh. miles um, yeah and then even coming down has its benefits but also its dangers in terms of repetitive stress injuries um but I was so strong just from that and being in that environment and constantly running in it. Um, so, so yeah, I did that for about two years. I was literally living like off a dirt road when I, Oh my gosh. And then, <laughs> and then I kind of crashed and burned. I got a, uh, a bad injury, a stress fracture and oh no, sort of frustrated with my situation and kind of felt like I got to, go, you know, start my adult life. I, I feel like I'm just prolonging it, um, mm -hmm. like prolonging this period, like avoiding, you know, adulthood, <laughs> avoiding adulthood. As long as I, could. <laughs> I never came home after college. It was like, yeah, somewhere, you know, um, yeah, yeah. I get a job right now. That was essentially, you know, part of the equation. And then, well, I'd say what you were doing was a job, right? Most people yeah. would think that that sounds like a very difficult job. <laughs> yeah, just eat, uh, sleep. Yeah. Know, yeah. Eat, um, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, it was. I mean, and when you got hurt down there because it was your job and you couldn't do your job, it was depressing. And, totally. Cause there was nothing, there was not much else to do down there. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, there was a, that college town atmosphere about 20 minutes from, from where I lived. Um, so that was helpful because it had this kind of, you know, college, it was like sort of hippie coffee shop and, yep. and things like that. So that was neat, but ultimately like everything revolved around the training and not going out or, you know, yeah because it's gonna wear you down you know um, yeah I mean that's a whole a whole lifestyle mm, yeah so it was it could be isolating and then um funny enough I moved right to the west village so talk about contract <laughs> um, culture shack yeah 
<laughs> so right to the west village and then um yeah that was that was it i mean in terms of my competitive running i kind of just slowly um focused all my energy on um, what the heck i was going to do you know for work at that point yeah beyond that when did you get linked up with like jack daniels and Vidato too and all of that uh sort of you know switch i mean the run smart project just all of that nature stuff was that after the competitive running sort of ended yeah. and you kind of moved on from it yeah so when i moved to new york um i had a degree in finance i had started my master's in finance and then i but i knew that i wanted nothing to do with it i just kind of got <laughs> in that track yep and i was just like shit like the running paid for school so that was great um but i still felt like kind of stuck like i can't go back it's too much it's gonna cost too much it's gonna totally and i wasn't quite sure so what i was gonna do so i started getting i i always loved tech um and so I, politics and things like that so I, I started kind of looking around and i met some people and i started working in you know, startups and um, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, had said something, you know, like, why don't you do something in coaching, like with tech? And I was kind of like, online coaching, huh? Yeah. That seems interesting. So this was like 2005. Yep. Okay. But it wasn't like a huge thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like a weird market. <laughs> Yeah, there wasn't many out there doing it. Um, no, yeah, not at all. Like, that's cool. And I just got really into her, her, our roommate at the time was like a designer. And we just kind of sat, you know, stayed up all night for a night or two. Like I was writing out the business plan and, and she was kind of designing out the website and logo. And that was the Run Smart project. And oh, how cool is that? That's neat. Yeah. So then it was just like me calling up like buddies that I trained, <laughs> who I respected and th thought were like so smart, um, not just fast, but like they just had a great approach to, you know, training and they worked with great coaches. And that's how yep. and they would be like, hey, so-and-so wants to coach. Like it was all these like um, male and female like runners who were their careers were kind of winding down and they were yep. like, Oh, how do I get into this? Like <laughs> another coach. And then so we kind of built up to 12, 13 coaches and um, part of building up that coaching roster was adding Jack because a couple of my buddies were in Flagstaff and they were hanging out and working with Jack, like Jack would, just go to a coffee shop after some of these group runs and just kind of hang out and oh would, cool that's awesome and talk about training and racing and um so he was a big part of the community started the the local running club there which is huge there now yeah uh, and then he was um a couple of our coaches just convinced him like hey why don't you do this thing online there's a lot of things we could do with VDOT and he agreed and and so then the rest is sort of history um the the business kind of evolved from that model to v.02 um more of like an open platform for 
for any coach or, or any runner who wants to um, log their training and use VDOT to improve. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. I mean, Jack is just awesome. I took, I don't, I don't, he's still not, or let me rephrase that. He is not still coaching in person to give VDOT O2 certifications, right? Correct. Yeah. It's yes. Just, I think I was in one of the last ones that he did. Um, that's right. Yeah. I think cause we did it through, uh, well, it wasn't really through mile high, but it was like, we all kind of were looking for, for something else. Yeah. Yeah. It was like 2015, maybe 2016. We did a bunch. I mean, we did, I want to say we did like 10 to 12 in-person clinics, like all over the country. We did two in one or two in Canada. We did. Um, oh, wow. Cool. We went to India. We didn't do a certification, but Jack and I went to India. We went to, to England. We, we did um, quite a bit. And then it just got to be too much for him. I mean, he's 90. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's not like he's like, you know, 45 and ready to, <laughs> right. ready to get going. Like my dad is 82 and I just, I, he won't even get on an airplane. <laughs> you know? yeah. I don't think my dad has flown on an airplane since he was like 65. You know, he's like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, cool. <laughs> my dad's been on one since the pandemic started. He traveled all the time and when the pandemic hit, he was like, I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. A lot. I mean, a lot of people, right. They just, yeah. and I get it. I mean, it's, it's scary. My husband and I unfortunately have a, a wild travel life schedule because we're sort of 50, hmm. 50 here in Bermuda. It's a little crazy. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. He, uh, so he, before we got together, he was actually living full-time in Bermuda um, working in insurance there, uh, for the company that provides insurance to the PwC network. So he's, you know, got a a great job. His company is amazing. His colleagues are amazing. Um, you know, the bosses, the higher ups, it's just, it's such an awesome find. I mean, how he wound up, you know, doing what he's doing, where he's doing it is just, is so incredible. Um, it's like a once in a lifetime shot, you know, for, being in business, you know? Um, but the problem is when we started talking about it, I said, you know, I'm not getting any younger. I want to have a family. And this was literally on like our first date, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, oh, nice to meet you. So when do you want to have kids? <laughs> and he, I mean, he felt thankfully the same way. Um, so we both just were kind of like, well, like soon. Right. But at the same time, we also want to make sure that, you know, obviously we want to get married and be together right not just like procreate so we're like we need to sort of like you know step back here and and date right so we had a very you know aggressive interview conversation on the first date and then we dated very comfortably and wonderfully and he was in Bermuda and I was in um you know the city working crazy hours still and we saw each other when we could right because we literally lived in different countries and then um yeah it was I mean it was amazing because it was precisely what we both needed was someone who just like understood that you can't see each other every day, you know, Uh, which is, which is great. Most people are like, you know, you can't get together on Friday. Well, I'm going to go find someone else, you know, Um, the dating in the city is just, is just wild, you know? And um, so then the pandemic hit and we were like, well, we're, we're faced with a couple decisions here, right? We've been doing this long distance thing and it's been working, but 
you know, you either have to be safe and quarantined together where you know what each other is doing or like see you in two weeks. Cause remember it was like two weeks to slow the spread. <laughs> we were like, mm. we're like, oh yeah, we'll see you in two weeks, you know? Um, I mean, seriously, the only reason I remember it so vividly is because it was like the giant leap development of our relationship, you know, because we were doing the long distance, which probably would have taken years to develop. But we wound up quarantining together. And within a year, we were married and pregnant. So, yeah, so it was like, it was a great catapult for both of our lives and the directions we wanted to go. But the amount of stress around the traveling right and like both of our parents like both sets of our parents are in their late 70s and 80s I mean my mom's a little younger so it was just thinking and navigating that life change right but the only person whose life really couldn't change was my husband he still had to go to Bermuda to work all the time so he was traveling at least once a week at least. Um, and to people like treated him like a pariah, which, you know, then I got treated like a pariah. Right. Cause they were like, how dare you travel? I'm like, well, we oh. kind of have to, you know, <laughs> like, wow. yeah, we don't really have a choice. Um, cause I couldn't go to Bermuda at the time. Cause I'm not, well, I am now, but I wasn't a resident and I don't know, there were all these rules and hoops to jump through and it's before the vaccine. And it was just, it was a crazy time. Wow. It just really taught both of us a lesson in patience and understanding because life had been moving so fast and so crazily. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're slammed with this magnanimous, you know, life shift where, you know, if we're going to make this commitment together, this is, this is a big commitment. Um, so yeah, so it was pretty crazy. Yeah. It's pretty wild. I mean, the, the pandemic was hard on relationships, like even for those who have like a long time, you know, connection and have a like totally, a base, you know, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, totally. Starting, like you went right into that, like yep. the beginning. Um, so that's incredible. Hopefully, you know, the relationship is is so much stronger than maybe it, it would have been otherwise. Who knows? But well, totally. And that's honestly like in our vows, like when we got married, that was kind of what we both said, like. You know, I, I don't want to go so far as to say like the pandemic itself was a blessing, but circumstantially for us, what happened was just a weird, you know, whirlwind um, in terms of where we wound up and the lesson, like you said, like, like how hard it was and the lessons you learn and the sacrifices you have to make. And it's just when you are together, right? Like my friends who had been married for, you know, 10 years at the time and, and stuff like that it's more of a test of expectation of each other because you expect people will make certain decisions. You expect, you know, various things. But for us, it was like, will you, you know, will you make the sacrifice? Will you still be here next week? You know, if I do X, will you respect that or appreciate that? Like we were still learning about it, each other so much. So it was just such a crazy, I don't know, seriously, I don't really have like, many more adjectives about it. it was very crazy and like surreal how all of that happened it was wild sure crazy yeah. crazy life yeah no for sure i mean the pandemic was you know so many things came out of it i don't think it's a it's weird to say that though like 
um, it's of course naturally like you're going to gain a new perspective or good things are going to come out of that just because it shifted, you know, behaviors and maybe some people got into fitness or they take care of their health better yep. than they did before and they're, they have less stress because they're not maybe commuting as much they're spending more time with family and you know things like that but um, yeah yeah and I think it's always I think the one struggle that I see is like kind of like all right the pandemic's kind of it's like winding down obviously there's still cases and stuff but in terms of yeah deaths, well the massive exactly like the massive panic yeah like that's kind of winding down so then to me like there's always going to be something like you know, well you're right like now we're like you know thinking about obviously the news media industry doesn't help um no these days like i remember one time my grandmother this is like several years when she was still alive she was like so distraught oh, there was something happening happening like in the middle east it was just like the conflict had had um you know, gotten like crazy, it, it, it spiked and, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's like constantly on and off there, unfortunately. But, um, but anyway, it was all over the news and she made some comment. I heard her at a party, like there was other things going on in the States, like just some scandals or, you know, stuff that seemed like bothering Normal me. stuff. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of bad things happening now, you know, now it's like, yeah she was still adjusting to like the 24 hour news media cycle, like where it's just this bombardment. And, um, but it was so funny to see her acting as if like, this is the end of the world. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, you were 20, like she was 19 or 20 during world war two, where like entire European yeah. just bombed to the ground like totally so yeah she's just like old enough to really experience it and understand what was going on yeah the whole world was at war like she lived that and now yeah. thinking, like this little conflict that's happening across <laughs> the world or this little scandal because of the news cycle and the way that they you know just dramatize everything so yeah like I, what i've learned is just like there's always going to be something not to, you know, fatalistic, but it's how you sort of react and adapt and um, try and Absolutely. stay level. And, you know, you know, hopefully you have good community and strong family and you just, you know, you use those things to kind of get you through, whether it's like illness popping up, like we've, you know, we've had illness in my family, like you feel like, oh, it's not related to the pandemic. And then you're constantly like, when will this end? <laughs> when is the string of, and it's like, well, there's always going to be something, you know? Yep. You just have to, that's how you have to kind of roll with it, you know? Um, yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I think you're spot on. And it, unfortunately, it doesn't really matter where you are, right? Or your background or, you know, what news outlet you decide to turn on or what job you're in like there's always a level of shit right like always yeah um and so like when for example when you launched you know into coaching and stuff and like realized you know finance is not where i'm going you know i'm gonna sort of stick to the passionate side of things and make this happen 
I actually took the exact same approach. I was in finance and was like, this is not happening. And I became a coach. Um, but it doesn't mean, yeah, but it doesn't mean there's no stress, right? There's a lot of stress. <laughs> there's like stress with who you're working for, who you're working with, where you are, where you're going to make your next dollar as you're getting started. I mean, just all the things. Um, Cause I also was the same. I wasn't competing uh, athletically anymore after college, but I, I didn't move home either. I actually moved farther away from home uh, after school and just figuring out the next steps, you know, was just crazy, especially like knowing some of my friends like had moved home and, you know, were doing various things that in my mind seemed easy. And I was like, oh man, maybe I should just do that. Maybe that's the way to go. But right. It's just the, the, the quote unquote, like safer route, kind of like, you know, my mom, like, why didn't you just, you know, <laughs> the best job pays and you, get and, you, know, yeah. you get your set vacation. <laughs> no, I don't want to be told when I can take time off or totally you know. now. Yeah. The downside is like, um, you know, is the money and insurance, especially, um, at that time, like buying insurance, not through your, you know, if you didn't get it through your employer, it was rough yeah. back then. So, um, especially for like a young, healthy individual, there was really, it was kind of like, why, why am I paying this much? Like, yeah. Ugh. And it's, you know, it's, it was a lot of money that could have been invested in the business or elsewhere. So, but yeah, so it was, that was always kind of on my mind is like, um, man, it could have been easier, but, but those are the trade-offs, right? It's like, totally um, miserable. Um, <laughs> would I I probably have seen my kids you know think about how much more I've seen them working from home as they grow up versus if I was commuting to an all this is totally yeah at home or hybrid um you know they're getting a taste for what I've always you know experienced just the remote you know being remote from the team and constantly on calls i mean that was this was my life before the pandemic yeah kind of getting used to it um yeah my sister worked from home before the pandemic and we always thought it was so weird (laughs) we're like who who sits at their dining room table with their laptop that's so weird (laughs) i will say that like being fully remote i i think now you're seeing a lot of business like go back to hybrid um Mm -hmm most sense to me i do find that like colleagues that you never meet in person it's it's definitely harder yeah to connect and stuff totally i think things get missed um if you're just on slack or you're constantly just communicating through like messages and um you know video calls are only so good yeah still a difference than being in person um, yep. No, it makes a ton of sense. So, I, I mean, I agree with you totally. It's like when you have remote clients, right? It's like you can, you can understand them. You can, you know, have video calls with them. You can communicate as much as you want, but there's, there's really nothing 
to be said for the difference between online training versus in-person training. Yeah, It's so different. Like taking a client to the track versus giving them a speed workout. It's totally different, right? <laughs> like, yeah. It's I different vibe. Some athletes thrive. Like I was thinking more just in terms of the business and um, like building the application. It's hard. Collaboration can be hard when you're never totally. in person. Um, Those are kind of like ideas, right? Get a little stifled over the internet. Totally. I think like collaboration and creativity, um, for sure. Like, um, I wish we had a little bit more hybrid. We don't have that right now, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But in terms of working with athletes, I feel like some thrive. I mean, some, some thrive when they have a group or they have someone with them in person. I'm a little bit of mixed if I'm thinking of just myself as an athlete. Um, but some, I think with the technology, like so many seem to thrive with when the workout sinks to their watch and they just feel like, oh, that makes it so easy just to start yep. it, go and not think as much and it keeps me motivated. And that's great. And some people, that's not the case. Like you got to meet up with people. And, um, and so it, it can be, can depend on the, the personality, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm. I'm like you. I mean, I don't want to say I don't have more fun in person, but I, I never ran competitively. I played ball sports my whole life. And so when it came to running for me, it's just, it's so fun. It doesn't feel like there's any stress around running training because I just, I have nothing to. That's awesome. Like, well, yeah. Like I have nothing to compare it to, you know, it's not like, Oh, when I was 17, I could do this, this, and this. It's like, I have no idea what I could do. I've never raced before. <laughs> I don't know. Like, is that a good 400 time? I have no clue. But it was a really cool development for me in that respect because running was so, so new. It was such a novelty when I started coaching. Um, and then when I started coaching and really realized that I don't have a competitive background to draw from, that's when I started scouting courses for coaching. So I didn't really like race them, right? Like I never trained to race, but I would run a ton of races to scout courses um, so that I could coach them better and so that I could feel what my runners would feel. Um, so that, that, yeah, like that was a cool process, but in terms of like training to race, like genuinely like run as hard as you can and as smart as you can and race a race, I've actually never like done that. <laughs> I still haven't, still haven't uh, made that my mission. Now I've done, you know, ultra marathons and dozens of marathons and, you know, that sort of thing. But in terms of actually, you know, doing a strict or rigorous or structured or whatever training plan to achieve a certain goal for me mm -hmm. has never been, uh, I guess it's just, it's honestly not been something I've wanted to do personally. Um, and I well, think it's be you the fun out of it a little bit. Well, exactly. Exactly. I was going to say, I think the problem would be that I, I only know how to be one type of athlete and that's the athlete that goes like balls to the wall. You know, every time I stepped on the soccer field or had the ball in my hand in softball, like I saw red, you know, I mean, I just, nothing outside of the game mattered. 
And I just don't really want to like do that to myself with running, you know, like, yeah, that's interesting. I, I, yeah. that was sort of what I was alluding to before, like just in terms of that shift. Cause I, I come from the competitive background. That's why I got into it. It just felt like it was the purest, you know, you just go race. There's no, there's no referees. There's no, yeah. um, you know, it's just, and so, but at the same time, like it can be stressful thinking about certain workouts coming up or like anxiety about the plan. And um, I, I've sort of shifted from that. So now I'm a little bit more like you just in terms of appreciating it more as a lifestyle. Like when my athletes in New York that I still coach like in person, they're always kind of like, what are you training for coach? You know? <laughs> and I just always say kind of jokingly, it's cliche, but it always cracks them up. Cause I'm like, I'm just, you know, training for life. And yeah. Like, oh, okay. okay. That's a great I'm, response. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm actually serious. Like, like I'm not running a race. Like you don't get it. Like you got into running in your forties or fifties and you know, you, you started to do, you wanted to do a marathon eventually. And then you got hooked up with this program or someone referred it and like, you got to do this. Um, and so for me, it's different. Like they're still kind of like, Oh, learning about training properly. And they're, they're setting time goals and they naturally, I think everyone wants to improve no matter what you're doing, whether it's totally time goals or preventing injuries or finishing. Yeah. You want to have some kind of plan, um, whether it's loose, loosely organized or very structured, like on V dot. Um, so yeah, I, I just approach, I'm enjoying that just kind of like, and I'm trying to convey that to these athletes too, that it's like, I know like you really have these time goals and um, you get disappointed sometimes when you don't reach those goals, but um, you're going to do another race and, and, you know, stay at it and just appreciate the fact that you can run and appreciate the lifestyle. Like that's, that's what I appreciate now more is just that it keeps me like focused. It keeps that balance. Like it, like I'm go, I go to bed at an, at a good time, you know, that's how mm-hmm. I know I'm meeting someone to run the next day. I just feel better throughout the day if I run first thing in the morning. Like when I don't do that, I don't feel as good or I'll feel like anxious. So yep. um, I'll make better choices maybe when it comes to drinking more water throughout the day because I want to feel good on my run or if I'm doing a workout the next day, I'm thinking about taking care of myself for that. So that structure and the schedule too, like I've got to get out early, you know, and get the run in before I have to take care of the kids when they get home from school. And um, so it provides that kind of structure and balance. And, and as I get older, like, and with a lot of the masters runners I coach in order to keep doing this, it's the reality is like, you have to work for it. Like you have <laughs> yeah. to go to bed on time. You have to eat well. It doesn't mean 
you know, you can't go out and still have fun, but like consistency when it comes to mobility. Yeah. Drink, like you can't just take it for granted that you can go train for a marathon, like year in and year out. Like you actually have to work to, to be able to do it, to be able to do it. And it's like, yeah. I'm loving that process now. And that was never the case. It was about, <laughs> like, I'm going to, you know, times a PR. Yeah. If I don't, this is the biggest waste of time. You know, so many instances where I was just like, I'm never running again. I'm done. Oh no. Yeah. Ugh. That's such a hard place to be in. And I, I bet your, your wife has been through the ringer with you. With that. <laughs> <laughs> like, we got to give her some kudos on that. I'm sure. Well, my poor mom too. Is like <laughs> most support. I've had the most supportive parents. Like I think high school and college. Yeah. They were at, you know, 90% of my races. Like, Oh, that's so great. We ran in Virginia or something like they would drive, you know, eight hours to uh, it's so cool. race for four minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's so cool. And even after a good race, I would be disappointed. You know, my oh, my God. Like, kind of like, you know, you're upset. Like, what, <laughs> why do you do this? You're always upset. <laughs> like, I thought you won the race. What are you complaining about now? <laughs> well, I didn't, you know, I, I could have run faster or I didn't, I didn't reach this qualifying time. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's always, there's always something. I mean, I love the, the quantifying, you know, of things, which is sure. like just with, with numbers and organization and just all that. That's just what really does it for me. It really like lights me up in terms of, you know, sports and whatever. I was always like a goal scorer in soccer, right? Or in basketball, I was a point guard. So I was like a playmaker and I could score and, you know, get rebounds sometimes. And then in softball, I was uh, really fat. I was always like a quick kid. So really good at sprints. I was always, you know, always on base, always scoring. I used to steal home plate all the time. Like that was my position, a bit more of like utility. So when it came to, to running, I was like kind of that, it's funny is you brought up that constant disappointment and frustration as someone who's like, you know, like an elite competitive, you know, runner for so long. Cause, cause I felt that too on the complete opposite spectrum of it for the longest time, because I would think I was at such a high level in the sports that I did. And then I, I moved to Miami. So I'm from New Jersey, went to college in Memphis, Tennessee, which was hot. I mean, it wasn't cold, but then when I moved to Miami, it was like a whole nother level, right? It's like the tropics and I would run on the beach and I would have to coach the teams. I was coaching at like three 30 in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, four 30 in the morning, because it's so hot. And I was, um, same as, as I guess you're doing now with the, with the master's athletes, I had a lot of older athletes and they would, you know, come and run before, before work and stuff. And I would get so frustrated at like the way my body would respond to the coaching sometimes because I was so used to being able to do whatever it is I wanted to do. Um, and I was so young still early twenties, mid twenties at the time. And I really was just so frustrated because when I coached a race, I would have anywhere from, you know, five to 30 athletes in a race. And I would 
have a bib and be in the race as well. And I would basically be running up and back and up and back and pacing people and then running back to, you know, by the sweeper to get the last person. And mm-hmm. like, I would clock, you know, 50, 60 miles while coaching, you know, half marathon or full marathon. And I would be so pissed at the end for whatever reason, right? Like I would come up with a million reasons to be like frustrated with myself. And, um, that feeling honestly never faded until pregnancy. <laughs> it was like a huge wake up call where my body is not mine, you know, anymore. And I, yeah. I need to do what's best sure. to grow a healthy baby. And that was the first time where I was like, wow, I need to reevaluate, you know, my, my lifestyle and my goals and running in the you know heat of the summer. Like I ran through my first pregnancy, pretty much the whole time I was on bed rest in the beginning, you know, cause of like early complications. And then once I got cleared, I went back to like, I mean, I eased into it. I didn't do it like in a stupid way, but I eased back into pretty much a normal running routine. And I, like we had the baby last August. So like I was super pregnant in like June and July and I was still running when it was really hot outside in Bermuda, you know, wow. running along. Yeah. And it's like, how can you be frustrated with that? Right. Like that's a huge commitment and a huge thing and a huge deal, you know, and now that we're in it again, it's a totally different time of year. I'm like, I mean, I've been feeling like absolute ass, you know, the whole, the last, I mean, I like could not feel worse. I don't know if it's because we have a toddler running around or I just, I don't know, but I keep thinking I'm coaching a, a running club out here in Jersey through Lululemon And I just started to have to like be honest with everyone a couple of weeks ago and be like, I really need to walk up the backside of the course because my stroller with my toddler in it now, it's like 50 pounds Mm. and I can't run, you know, at an 830 pace up this hill, pushing 50 pounds, feeling the way I'm feeling right now. You know, like I just, I physically, I can't do it. Um, So you have to, I mean, it always worries me when people don't, you know, they're so used to training a certain way or like expectations of, it's it's like when I coach masters runners who were very good runners, like 30 years ago, they're still out there like trying to, oh gosh, person, you know, and I'm like, yeah, you're pushing a stroller <laughs> the amount of stress putting now on the back of your legs that that the the back of backs of your legs just is not used to you know and yeah it, yeah it's just you have to totally rethink um, yeah I mean, it's a whole like system change right so, like the areas in my body that get sore when i'm quote-unquote running now versus what used to get sore when i was you know, running an ultra marathon or coaching New York city marathon and running over the Queensboro bridge 65 times, you know, it's just like, it's totally different. Like my shoulders are sore now. Right. And then, like you said, like you know, my hamstrings are like toasted. My calves are perpetually balled up knots. And it's just funny. Cause it's like, wait, why are my arms so sore? Like, what did I do? And then I remember, like, I live in a very like mountainous hilly area in New Jersey. So you can't go for a run around here without going up like massive hills. And 
pushing the freaking stroller up these massive hills is really hard. Like yeah. that's mean, like a really tough aspect of the run. You know? Right. <laughs> like, for you like your whole world turned upside down like last year and then then it's like you still want some semblance of what what your life was like before um yeah keep your sanity but it's just kind of embracing you know this new like I still run for the lifestyle and because you still have to take care of yourself somehow you know you're a good parent obviously so you got to figure out how to make time for yourself in order to do that and not just struggle to like try and do what you used to do um you know with the kids <laughs> yeah yeah exactly literally and figuratively um, yeah so, yeah that's a challenge I, I just see that a lot where it's like hey maybe walking uphill pushing 50 <laughs> the equivalent of um, 50 hill repeats you know yourself yeah um yeah yeah Yeah, that reevaluation and like you said equating you know like finding some sort of equation to relinquish that frustration is it's a mind game you know it really is i remember this master's runner hired me and he like I cut his mileage in half, like immediately. And he was oh just my God. Like, <laughs> like, why did I hire you? He's yeah. Like, he's like, what? He's you know, like, you're he, ruining my life. <laughs> yeah. He's, so he was just so conditioned. I was like, Jeff, you basically told me you've been doing the same thing for the last 30 years. You know? Oh my like, God. Like, let's try something different. Like totally not working. And, you know, now you have to, but there was still that adjustment. Like, clearly he wasn't insane he knew that um but he still had this we had to say it out loud it was like you hired me because (laughs) you've been doing the same thing for 30 years (laughs) but now you're still questioning while why changing what you're doing (laughs) yeah i feel like that's a that's a common conversation in coaching in my experience though Totally. Like people getting frustrated and me having to remind them why they hired me. Totally. Like my job is X. If you don't want to listen, you can go your own way and I'll, you know, refund you and it's fine. But you came to me, like coming to me is a huge step, you know? So if you create like a a parody, like coaching product on your website where it's like, uh, (laughs) I'll pay. I'll accept your money to tell you what you want me to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh man. That's, I feel that's, like I ran into the that deal. the most in New York city, especially with like, you know, like executive types where sure. it's like, they want you to train them for personal training, but at the same time, the whole session, they're telling you what they know they should do. And it's like, okay, so why am I here? Like, what am I, what am I doing? Like, I don't understand why I'm here right now. <laughs> yeah, there are individuals where it's like a status thing, right? Like, I'm yeah. a personal, private coach, and, but then it's like their personality dominates where it's kind of like, well, this is what I do, you know, and just, it's like, well, do you want me to coach you or do you totally. Like have it both ways, and it it's weird, you know. I think that's it's like we always tell coaches just like 
you know, clear communication, like, you know, stand your ground, like follow basic principles, you know, yeah. make adjustments, offer good customer service, but just, just coach who's a good fit for you. Like, don't try and just coach anyone. anybody. Yeah. That's great you're advice. So frustrated. You're going to like have, you know, clients that just, it doesn't work out. And then they're going to tell people that it doesn't work out, even though it's probably them, why it didn't work out. It's going to see your reputation. Your reputation takes a hit. So it's just, yeah. like, it's, you know, it just happens. A lot of coaches kind of learn the hard way or um, they just get frustrated and then they quit. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. That's a, tough, yeah. That's a, it could be a grind. Yeah. I think my, a quick anecdote. And then if you don't mind, I want you to explain what VDOT is and sort of like how to use it and how people can get, you know, involved, um, you know, with the platform. But uh, quick anecdote, one of the worst situations I ever had was when I was doing a lot of private clients in the city, had a totally full roster. And I had these, uh, these people, I basically trained their whole family and um, money wasn't an object. They never, you know, balked at a price. They basically would just give me a bunch of money and be like, be on call. Like whenever we call you, you need to be here, you know? And at the time I needed the money and I was like, sure, that sounds great. So it was almost like a retainer. And, um, the only problem is I also had like a full teaching schedule for classes. And so it can't just be like, you know, at eight 30, I'm on my way to teach a 9am class. I can't just call the studio and be like, Oh, I can't teach the 9am class. Cause I have a demanding client, you know, who I have to go see. So we'd have a lot of arguments about availability and they basically tried to buy me out and be like, how much do we have to pay you where you can just focus on us. And so then I took that seriously and I was like, oh, well, that's an interesting concept. Um, So I thought about that and sort of priced it out and figured out like if I stopped teaching and just had everything client-based where it was, you know, I was controlling the schedules, like what would that look like? And then as I was going through that process, you know, I took, I took a couple of weeks to mull it over. I didn't just, you know, make any rash decisions and thank God I didn't because I went to train them one day and they literally showed up with a printout of a training program that they wanted me to take them through. And it was just one of those cookie cutter, random things you'd see in like shape magazine or something that a trainer just, you know, writes up real quick for an article that they then put like thumbnails to for the article's sake. And I was just like, wait, what you want my like decade plus of experience and, you know, shit ton of education to be bought out by like a printed out <laughs> let me do 10 reps of a chest press and 65 crunches I'm like I'm sorry but no and uh, I had a lot of friends who told me I was crazy for not you know taking them up on this offer they're like how could you pass up like they were offering to really like pay me pay me more than what I was making with my like 18 hour a day hustle and I was like, oh man, you just, you have to recognize, you got to read the room. You got to recognize like what's going to break you. And that was a circumstance that would have, that would have broken me. You know, that would have not worked. It was not worth it. You know, it's just not the proper trainer for the proper client. The fit just wasn't there anymore. Even though we'd had like a three, three and a half year relationship at that point, you have to like, like you said, kind of recognize all right, I'm banging my head against a wall. Is it for a good reason? Is this a good fit? Is there, is there another 
side of this? Are we coming out on the other side, winning anything or, or not? It's just stress. So that was a crazy situation, very dramatic example, but that was probably one of the worst, you know, circumstances I ever had with a private training client where I was just like, wow, this is wild. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) I've never heard one like that. That's a new one. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that would happen. And I mean, from my experience anyway, in the running world, but in the private training, like, you know, I want this body composition, I want to look like this at my Met Gala, whatever. It's just kind of like a whole different ballgame with that stuff. Um, And yeah, it just wasn't for me. I don't really, honestly, I really don't give a shit what someone looks like in their Met Gala dress. (laughs) It's not, that's, that's not something that I really care about. So definitely I'm, I'm not the trainer for that. (laughs) Not, not something I care about. Um, Yeah. But anyway, so fast forwarding into V.02, just give us a, I don't know, any kind of overview, like whether it's brief, whether it's detailed, whatever, like, what is it? How do you use it? Um, what is the, what is the purpose? If you could explain like the algorithm, you know, behind it and how it is so scientifically based and personalized and just all of that. Yeah. So the, the terminology, it comes off as kind of technical, but it applies to anyone who's running um, because inside um, the algorithm is, is years of physiological research kind of wrapped into what we refer to as a VDOT score. And a VDOT score is just a representing, representing your current running fitness. So it, it applies a score so that it could train you at the right intensities based on um, your level. Now, sometimes we'll see people say, you know, you don't, don't listen to your VDOT or your VO. <laughs> like, um, you know, you're better than that, or don't let that hold you down. And I, I think it's kind of funny, like some people will use that as a way to <clears throat> um, kind of get individuals just to go run and, and, and not worry about metrics and things like that. And um, don't let the data kind of define you. And I understand mm-hmm. where it's coming from, but ultimately the VDOT score is just representing where you are in your fitness. And, and the idea is that you don't just go and run randomly unless it's just to go out and briefly maybe run for mental health, which is great. But if your goal is to complete a race or if you have a, a time objective, um, there's, there's a way to go about training for that because the research has been done and it's pretty simple. And it's not only that, it's, it's also ensuring that you don't overtrain and it, it, it helps keep you healthy so that um, it kind of protects you when you go out and, and train. So whether it's just an easy run, um, there are certain benefits you know, that you get from running at an easy percentage of, of your heart rate max. And those are a lot of different health benefits from your heart to cell changes you know, in, in the cells and, and the muscle fibers. And so to get those, you have a certain pace or a a range based on your VDOT score. Mm -hmm. You want to improve endurance. This could be a soccer player. It could be, um, 
you know, the goal doesn't have to be a mar you don't have to be a marathon runner. There, there's a certain pace, um, you know, that you should go run to improve your endurance based on your, your VDOT score. So um, why would you just go out and run aimlessly if <laughs> there is a pace to do it? You know, it's not like it's defining you or holding you back. It's, ac it's actually unlocking um, like potential health benefits and yeah. is an efficient way to spend your time if that's what your objective is if your objective is to just run and it's not to do races and it's just to go out and breathe the air and you know be in nature then that yeah that's a whole different ball game but when it comes to um how to train effectively and and safely you know running is a, is an impact sport which kind of sounds funny but <laughs> crashing into the ground yeah you're going to get hurt if you spend enough time doing it it's just the way that we're built unfortunately the way that we get jammed in shoes at a young age you know you develop yeah it's hip replacement or knee replacements and a lot of that i think has to do with just you know, our feet at a young age, we don't spend much time running around barefoot as, as we should as kids or as we get older, you're kind of jammed in these shoes and then we develop imbalances. We sit all day, you know, it's <laughs> work and you've got these tight, you know, hip flexors and then low back problems. And then you go out and you're running with all these imbalances and, and over time that those are going to come out into some kind of repetitive stress injury. So um, you've got to deal with that. Obviously, that's part of the sport, but you can limit a reduced um, rate of injuries by you know, training at the right paces. And um, VDOT's a great way to, you know, always train by your current fitness to help you sort of improve, as Jack likes to say, sort of at a safe rate. Um, where you're making steady progress over time yeah yeah i think i mean all of that is is awesome i feel like the thing that i have to repeat the most to clients is when when i give you a pace in your program right which is through vdot i've used that since 2016 um it's not just arbitrary right i didn't just like come up with this random pace that I want you to do three minute repeats at, you know, during your long run or whatever. It's, it's an algorithm behind the science, you know, of your body with your VDOT level, with how we measured your VDOT score. Um, and I think a lot of people get confused, especially when I was teaching um, through, you know, running clubs and had sort of like teams on the platform you know like through mile high when i used to do the run academy and all that people would get kind of overwhelmed and confuse themselves in terms of like you said sort of the meaning of it and and valuing themselves and whether or not to trust it so in terms of achieving a v dot score right you can write in your easy pace your estimated easy pace or your actual easy pace you can do a race result um you can manually enter your score if you want to see how it, you know, I guess feels. I don't really know why people would do that, but I guess you can kind of just like navigate it that way. What would you suggest is the best way to do it? I'm going to guess 
most recent race result, but what is your opinion on that? Yeah, that's, that's ideal. I mean, you could back into it by saying, oh, I, I generally run this pace and it feels easy. Mm-hmm. And you could assign it. Um, you can estimate. A lot of individuals who come on might have no clue what they could run for a 5K right now. Or, totally. You know, um, a recent race result is good, but but if you went out and jogged with friends, obviously then you know we can't use that. The idea <laughs> is that it represents you know close to current fitness. So if if you went out and ran 80 percent your VDOT scores are going to be too low and pace, training paces will feel too easy. So then it's up to the coach or the athlete to make an adjustment. Um, so time trial is great. Like if you're, if you're fit or you've been doing some running, um, if you go do a one mile or two mile, sometimes if it's around 10, 12 minutes, something that lasts that long, you'll get a more accurate. Um, mm-hmm. So you could do that you know how like if you have strava or, or garmin just go see how far you can run in 10 minutes that's a great way to do it then you just yeah your distance and the 10 minute time to calculate your score and then you should have pretty accurate training paces and then to your point about um we see two two things one is they don't achieve the pace that you gave them and they're disappointed um and I think that reaction sometimes comes where someone says, don't worry about your VDOT score. You know, you just, yeah. um, it's possible that it was just the weather, they weren't recovered or their score is too high and no one should be afraid to lower it. Um, maybe they lost some fitness or they're coming back and they're using the same score that they had three months ago. Um, totally. Okay fitness and so i always tell athletes hey lowering it to make sure it aligns with your current fitness means you're going to get more out of the training yeah yeah like it's not you're not like reducing yourself it's more it's just meeting yourself where you're at because you're either going to get hurt while you're frustrated that you're not hitting the paces, you're going to get hurt because you're shooting for paces that are too hard for where you currently are. Um, or you're just going to get, you know, frustrated that you just, you know, you can't, something's wrong with you that you can't hit it. And then the, the other is like someone overruns them because they think that's good. Like I had a good workout. So <laughs> I, I, cause I ran faster than what. Yeah. That's what I run into mostly, which yeah. like drives me nuts. I'm like, oh my gosh, like it doesn't mean that your VDOT score is going up because then they're like, if someone, if I have clients who do that, they run these workouts that are like so much faster than what I've prescribed. And then we come to the race and I'm like, all right, well, if that's what you were doing for your workout, yeah. technically, for example, yeah. you should run like a 335 marathon, right? So let's pull it out. And then all of a sudden they're running like a 409 marathon. <laughs> like, okay. So hopefully now you see the point of easing up in your workouts a little bit, you know, cause you're not giving your body that space to recover and prepare for the next totally. bout 
of stress and, and quality session versus easy run and your easy run should genuinely be easy. That's why the paces look so slow. And it's just, it's a very difficult way to, I mean, not way, it's a very difficult thing to explain to people sometimes. My favorite is like when they over, they exceed the paces and then if you bump their feet up because you think like, oh yeah, their, their fitness is better now. Um, yeah. <laughs> training, they're training appropriately, like every four to six weeks, you should see some kind of increase. So, mm-hmm. but the best is like, they exceed the paces you bump their feet on and they're like, oh no, why did you bump? Yeah, (laughs) like nervous that you bumped it, and I'm like, well, I'm just bumping it to where you currently are. Exactly. I'm not not turning the dial to make you, you know, work even harder. This should be relative to where you are. It's just I'm aligning it to where you are so that um, you're not overtraining, so you don't keep. But then the problem is, do they now exceed? you know, those paces and, um, but the, the marathon's also tricky because they could be fitter and then they underperform in the marathon. A, cause it could be someone who only runs 20, 30 miles a week. Like it, they might just be a low mileage runner. Um, maybe they can't handle more. They'll just get hurt. So it's better yeah. than lower mileage. When you get up to the marathon, it's harder to achieve your VDOT you know, in a longer race, especially if you don't run that much. And then if let's say they pace poorly in the marathon, it's like such a fine line. Like when you start to fall off the wagon, then it gets exponent- exponentially bad. And so totally. someone will say, well, I was only three minutes faster than you wanted me to be in the first half. And, and then, so that doesn't explain why I got, was 15 minutes <laughs> and I'm like well hard and fall apart in a marathon like yeah you're fucked lose exponential like in the end the last 10k I'm like look you were losing two minutes a mile then you know where you should have been totally and so it that's the marathon like it's just yeah that's a, that's a tough it's a tough beast most of my clients are striving for marathon goals and yeah. This season, thankfully, most of them have PR'd and it has less to do with their fitness and more to do with their mental acuity, mm-hmm. wrapping their head around precisely what you're saying, which is like just the whole point of VDOT, right? And like the whole point of training smart and training, uh, you know, appropriately and, and not doing too much and like I put up an Instagram story uh, recently about um, this runner, Heather Runs, who's on Instagram, and she runs these marathons all the time. She's just a super avid racer, and she's fast, you know, and she's aging up into, you know, master's level and everything. And she put up a poster. She was like, I don't do high mileage. You know, I cap my weeks at, you know, 30, 35 miles, and I still do my long runs. I'm just, that's what my body can tolerate. And I actually got some, some feedback from some people saying that I was like preaching inaccurate information. Mm. And I was like, well, no, I'm not, I'm actually not right. Like you could do a low mileage marathon training cycle. Absolutely. If that's like you said, like if you're not a person who can take a demanding high mileage 
training cycle, you should stick to low mileage, right? Otherwise you are going to get injured. You are going to burn out. It's, it's just not going to go well, right? It's going to blow up. And then you've got other people who need 60 mile weeks, you know, they need to, they need to max it out and do these like magnanimous training cycles. Okay, fine. Like that's, that's that runner. But yeah, it's just funny where people get these ideas in their head, especially other, other coaches. Um, I'm certified via RRCA as well. And I'm, you know, we have a Facebook group and some of the arguments that coaches get in over training. Oh yeah. Over training styles, training tactics, um, all of the inclusivity stuff these days, you know, some people will put um, sort of like social inclusivity over training science. And then you've got people who will look at training science as Bible, right? Like you cannot adjust that regardless of instance, right? Like if a woman encounters her period in the middle of a marathon or whatever, like you cannot change the science. And it's like, okay, anyone who's going to like, you know, go psychotically hard and fast on, on any of this stuff needs to just take a deep breath. Like, yeah, like they need to slow down a second. <laughs> I mean, with, with feed it's I mean, with Jack, like, I think he gets that um, rap sometimes that it's like set in stone. Um, I mean, with, with the paces, that's sort of been proven. I mean, it's well, that's what I was going to say. I think with VDOT, it's the opposite, right? It is scientifically based. Right, right. But I think there's certain things in the methodology that Jack is always open to new methods and new ideas Mm -hmm. research. And like when I'll tell him like anecdotally, you know, like master's runners at 50s, 60s, like we see great results when we really cut back the running volume and really push hard on strength training, cross training, like, and they seem to be performing, you know, better than, you know, better than ever or better than they have in 20. And he's like, that's really interesting. He's like, I'd love to see some research on it, you know? And yep. so you can never see that's great. That's awesome. Them. He's just like, that's really interesting. We should do some research on it. <laughs> so, but, so, but yeah, he's always like that. But when it comes to like, paces and how the body reacts to stress that I think is it's pretty fair to say now one of the principles for us is just like you have to have some guiding principles and then coaches do a lot of different things they have a lot of different things that they've learned and I think that's great so one guiding principle has to be everyone is an individual I've seen someone break 320 in the marathon off of 35 miles a week there you go yeah so what you know what are you talking about i don't think that's like a total outlier i don't think it it's not like an elite runner you know this is a master's runner who set a pr so it wasn't like oh this person used to break three and now he's older but he has that background so he's just strong. He got away with only running 35. No, that wasn't the case at all. He was running four days a week. He works a full-time job. He's in his fifties. He set a PR running 35 miles a week because probably that was all he could handle. It allowed him, totally. to it allowed him to reap the benefits. A lot of the, a lot of the training. Otherwise he would have gone on to Google or that group chat. Mm-hmm. 
And to break 320, I got to average 55 miles a week. Oh, well, exactly, right? And like that's what people rushed. come up with. It's like, it oh my God. Rushed. So I could give yeah. countless examples. I have a guy who, who ran 258 and he peaked in the 50s. He peaked yep. in the 50s. And this isn't a, a, someone who was a runner. He got into running, you know, six years ago. So, um, and, and not like a, um, his body type is not your prototypical elite distance runner that someone yeah oh, sub three hour marathon no not the case at all this he just followed basic principles he took on and like dedicated to it yeah he was consistent he he took on a schedule that he could handle with his full-time job and wasn't you know dominating or you know hurting his recovery and taking over his life and he enjoyed the training and it and it went well you know so yeah i don't like that it, it really depends i think what you're talking about um but certainly not you have to run this amount of mileage um anyone who's a stickler about that i think that's a little unfair and unfounded totally well, i think that's where i come down to it too it's just it's just not a fair like generalized assessment yeah, when it comes to like improving your endurance, you know, I think it's pretty, pretty solid that regardless of who you're talking about, um, they need to spend time working at their lactate threshold. Like that's just, you know, a basic principle that was. Yeah. And so whether it's someone who's walking on the treadmill, um, maybe it's my mom or, yep. you know, Kipchoge. <laughs> they don't do the same thing through their endurance it's just that my mom you know is doing it much slower and yep. different levels exactly physiological benefit um mm -hmm. you know and she's going to do a lot less work than than he is so yeah so when it comes to that stuff that's what confuses me sometimes when people get on these um you know they, they go on these rants about you know, how, how certain coaching or like, it's like you said, like, it's not, you shouldn't take it as the Bible and you can't just paint with broad strokes and say like, oh, this whole thing, you know, it's not, it's really not that rigid. There are certain principles that yeah. are sound that everyone should follow. Jack was not trying to be the coach of everyone. He was trying to deliver like a foundation of basic principles for coaches to go out exactly and coach has to make the decision this person mentally handles certain workouts differently and i'm gonna do different types of interval training or i'm gonna do hill training for this individual because they live in hilly areas and they're training for hilly races or you know so you got to mix it up as a coach and how you approach different athletes. This person is a is a mother of four kids and works full time. Are you going to train her the same way as you would, you know, someone who doesn't have kids and is independently wealthy? Yeah. And twenty years younger? Probably not. Like you're yeah. you're not going to follow a cookie cutter plan for both of them and just change their paces. I would imagine the coach is going to have different strategies in terms of rest and 
volume for those two different individuals. If they don't, then that's, to me, that's a problem. Yeah, no, I totally, I mean, a thousand percent echo what you're saying and totally agree. And I, I think it's funny because when I was in college, especially, uh, I mean, I was injured all the time because I was very small compared to the competition we played against. And with the positions I played, my body was just always on the line and fine. I was always injured. I was in the training room all the time. The other people who were in the training room all the time were football players, notably so, and runners. And the dichotomy between football players and runners is massive, right? And I felt more akin to the football players because they were like, you know, icing and being maneuvered by the training staff. They were in the ice bath. They had heating pads on them. We, we were doing kind of the same stuff. And the runners were doing stability exercises and foam rolling and using the Theragun and like doing all this stuff in the corner of the training room where I was like, what the hell are they doing? <laughs> like, what a waste of time. Like, aren't they at practice right now? Like, what are they doing? And I just never really grasped the concept of how you can have like a running team. I really never understood it because it didn't make sense to me how you could give a workout to a running team when everyone is such an individual, right? Like at soccer practice, it's pretty, pretty rote, right? Like we do a warm up, everything is very uniform. It's all about doing the same thing. We do drills together. You know, we have goalies in the goal because that's their position. You've got the forwards taking shots because that's their position, you know, but everyone does the same fitness test. Everyone does the same conditioning day and the faster people just do it faster and the slower people do it slower. But when it comes to like a running team, like, I just don't get it. I was like, some people run so fast and some people don't. And then when I, yeah, it's it's so good. It was so confusing as an outsider. I genuinely just didn't get it. And so I wrote it off as being a stupid sport. I was like, this is so dumb. And then I became a running coach, not, but you know, a year later and yeah. And the things that I learned, man, I was like, holy shit, there is more. And I'm not even exaggerating. There is more that goes into being a running coach than goes into an entire soccer team's practice. Like it is, it's insane. And every runner is doing a different workout. Every runner has different paces. Every runner has a different event. You know, it's just, it's wild to me. Like the things that I learned less than one year removed from like those thoughts that I had, just the evolution, you know, of, of understanding from the physiological components to the scientific components to, you know, the, picking the right event, right? Like picking what works for an athlete. And I don't know, it's just, it's so, it's so crazy. It really it blew my mind. Honestly, I was like, wow, this is, and the people who I still talk to who were like on the track team, <laughs> on the cross country team, I apologized. I was like, I'm sorry. That's funny. Yeah, I was like, I'm yeah, sorry. I was such of, a jerk. We were, I mean, it was always, these teams would kind of look at us like, coming through you know well totally but it's because no one understands i'll be honest 
Yeah. Nobody gets it. Like running was always our punishment, right? Or like our conditioning. Like it's like, why the hell would you do that as your sport? <laughs> yeah, sort of like, <laughs> like when you screw up and back, you know, go run a lap. And totally. You, you sort of associate it with that. But um, yeah, I mean, the <laughs> so funny of the sport is just, I would think, I mean, that's the beauty of the sport, just the individualization and yeah some coach like jack takes it almost to the extreme in the sense that like as a cross-country coach where you're trying to keep your team together and have some like cohesion and generally what you see is a big pack of 20 30 runners mm-hmm. coming up together and i remember in college my first cross-country meet ever i was a freshman and i was still adjusting to now running like 60 70 miles a week which was a huge increase from what I did in high school. Totally. And now I'm out warming up before a long, you know, five mile race or 10K, which is double the distance I did in high school. And my heart rate is like already (laughs) high because I have seniors who are leading the warm up. Oh my gosh. They're running like we're probably now sub seven minutes a mile on the warm up. Warming up. And, oh my God. And I'm just like, oh, you got to be kidding me. But I don't want to fall off because it's like totally. staying together. And and all the freshmen are like looking at each other like, I feel like I just ran the race, you know, <laughs> warm up jog and we're stretching the circle. And oh my God. The other day I was reading through parts of, of Jack's book and he talks about warming up and he makes that point and that like, you know, maybe it's not worth that look of team cohesion, like individuals, you know, some might need to warm up a little bit differently and that's going to serve the athlete on an individual level better and the team better in the end, you know, yeah. and different pacing strategies. Yeah. It's so smart. Different training paces. Don't, go out and have everyone run in the same group on an easy day because now you got the young athletes who are overworking their heart rates too high. Like I see that every Sunday when I go out and run in this local park here um, out from just outside the, uh, the, the city in Philadelphia here. And you see the kids, like I literally run by their groups are coming at me and I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I can hear him breathing, <laughs> her breathing, like this is supposed to be a long run and their heart rate's way too high. Uh, just trying to keep up with the group. Yeah. And they're not well served at all doing that. But it's uh, terrible. It's easy for the coach just to be like, yep, yeah, we're running 12 miles this morning. And um, at this pace, yeah. See you later. And then every, they're all out there running together and they really shouldn't be because yeah you know physiologically it's a really good point there's differences and um that warm-up point is really cool I actually um yeah I gotta find that and which, which book is it and of his we actually just posted an article on it where like we talk about you know principles of warm-up like everyone thinks that you know warming up is just about warming up the muscles mm-hmm you know, it's a lot more than that, just in terms of, you know, mental prep. Um, So we do, basically, we started with that. And then we get into, um, 
what what are the different types of warm-ups that you could try so he has different um options and i could send you the the article yeah definitely definitely send that to me i've been having this conversation with a bunch of clients lately as the weather's been turning and uh, they're feeling like ill-prepared for an outdoor workout they're not wearing the proper layers they're getting stiff they're getting weird pains and frustrations about not starting their workout where they want to be and I've been trying to explain sort of like the concept and the reasoning behind a warm-up and how you need if you're going to run outside and you don't want to wear layers you need to do it inside you need to do all the little work inside right your balance exercises your planks your movement your leg swings, like whatever it is that you're going to be doing, you need to do it inside then. Right. Like, cause if yeah. you go outside to, to do it and you're, you're just freezing the whole time and you're miserable, <laughs> like there's the whole mental part of that, where you're going to have such a shit attitude towards the workout that you need to kind of figure out how it's going to serve you the best. And that's a very, very, you know, layman's terms of regurgitation of one of these conversations but it's just it would be really helpful to sort of have another resource to be able to share where it doesn't seem like i'm just being like the devil reincarnate here (laughs) telling people what they don't want to hear yeah i think that's that's good it's often overlooked it's just i think that some athletes a waste of time (laughs) warm up okay and then they you know they want to get the workout over with and there's probably a lot of athletes who are like man i don't feel good until the third interval yep and it's like well that's because you weren't really ready warmed up workout you know yep absolutely it takes time especially as you know i hate to say it but as you um get into your 40s like myself it's a whole different ball game than when i was in my 20s um yeah getting these you know, old legs to, <laughs> to, to get warmed up and <laughs> to move. So yeah, it is a bummer when you feel like that. Like I didn't feel good till the third one. Yeah, but that's just a matter of not being afraid to go get the heart rate up before you start the workout. And yeah, yeah. I think, like you said, it it is. It's it's a level of fear, right? Because I also have a lot of clients over the years whose initial two or three miles of a workout whether it be you know a tempo run or a long run or even a race sometimes are like a good 90 seconds slower than their splits after that and like i mean that's a big difference like that's that's not talking about negative splits that's talking like that should have been your warm-up like you should have done that before you even started the workout but again yeah trying to explain that to someone is just it's Sometimes it's very taxing. It, it doesn't land. And so I just sort of give up. I'm like, well, okay. Well, I think, <laughs> I think that's where the technology helps coaches, like where you could save sort of a warm-up template or, or notes or communication with that it's easy to kind of apply in the future. Um, and that it's very explanatory in terms of steps and and why you do different types of warmups before different things and why it's important and kind of really communicate the purpose and the reason behind it. And that should help, especially with a team. Like if you're worried about team spirit, then I think it just takes, you know, explaining why you do different strategies for different people 
And then the team's going to be like, oh, good. Like, if it's going to help my teammate do better, I like this warm-up better because I feel yeah. like they're, they're struggling. They're going to try something new. Maybe that helps them kind of get over the hump and then the team. So oftentimes you see coaches just don't communicate that. Like, why are we doing this workout? I don't know that it makes sense. Yeah. Like, your athlete's wondering that. That's not a good place for them to be. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. For me, it's more like, uh, or less about the curiosity about a workout. Cause I feel like I, I tend to overshare and then I have to be like, is this too much? Like, do you want to know all this? <laughs> um, it's more like if they don't think they're like you said earlier, right? Like hitting the right paces or the paces are too slow. Like it kind of goes back to that. And then it, it usually leads to a conversation about a warm up or recovery. And, um, you know, unfortunately in this day and age where we're at, you know, with society and just everything, everything is so go, go, go. It's so hard to get people to unplug and to sit down and to literally put their legs up, get I had a conversation with a, a guest on the podcast, you know, recently she, uh, got into massage therapy and she, you know, she's a trainer and and a gym owner and she got into massage therapy and she was just saying how like people treat massages as a luxury, but if you were ever an athlete in, in school and in, you know, beyond that or whatever, the trainers massage you, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like you get maneuvered and I'm sure you're pretty familiar with those, what are the Graston tools, you know, where they mm-hmm. like scrape you. Um, it's, there's a science behind it. And so people who think that getting a massage is, is a wild luxury. Like I'm not saying you need to go to a posh spa where you spend $400 on a massage. You could go to a hole in the wall, spend 40 bucks and get the same physiological benefit there. No, I, I agree. I think that that like goes back to the point about having to work in order to, to be able to train and, and yeah. enjoy it. Like that's, part of training like rest is part of training as jack always says not avoiding it and yeah like it's part of the process and so is the the body work like you can't just expect that you only do that stuff when you're injured you know you want to that's the stuff that's going to keep you healthy and it has to be consistent it's not like you said a luxury i mean oftentimes now i'm kind of like just oh shoot i don't have the time schedule it it's sort of totally but there are other things to do right you could foam roll you could make sure you're on top of maybe using a heating pad and just like little things here and there but I feel like people see the barrier to it whether it's time money um, not liking it right I mean I've had clients who just don't like it they're like I don't like being massaged it's weird it's like a very strange thing that's that's fine too, right? Like, I'm not saying you have to go like get rubbed down by a stranger, but, but like there are, you need to just take that concept into account one way or the other. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I feel like I could chat about this stuff forever, but do you have any final thoughts, any splices of anything that's come up in your head that you want to kind of leave out there? Or... Um. I guess just, you know, for anyone who, who hasn't tried out the app, definitely give it a try. We'd love your feedback. We're actually releasing, um, we talked a lot about overtraining. So mm-hmm. one new feature that I'm super excited about will probably be out by the time 
you air this, which would be nice. And um, but it's called workout accuracy. And so the idea is kind of unlock the the benefits from V dot training paces is that you you want to be precise and focus on pacing and and you run at different intensities to improve different parts of your physiology like we talked about vo2 max or endurance or speed mm -hmm. economy so we do different intensities different types of workouts so we actually built some uh, an algorithm when your gps syncs with the app we analyze it and then we um show you how accurate you were in terms of um, executing the, the planned workout. And so in part, it's helpful for coaches to kind of really quickly see, whoa, you weren't very accurate on, you know, you're overtraining. And so they can pick that out and have the athlete then focus more on pacing and paying more, being more mindful of running the workout that you plan because like you said there's a reason it's not arbitrary yeah and what we found in testing is that at first some athletes will say whoa whoa whoa, what are you what are you saying i was you know 85 percent accurate and i was like well look you were too fast on intervals five six seven eight and they say oh okay and then they're like well i want to make sure that i want to get to a hundred percent and then over time, what happens is they sh they're more mindful of being a better pacer when they're executing the workout. Well, that sounds like a very useful tool. I like, I like the way this sounds. And now it's sort of like it's sort of like a game where you want to hit the target and the bullseye when you go out and execute your session. Yeah. Now obviously, okay. super hot or you felt sick you know, stuff comes up where totally. workouts aren't going to go well all the time that happens for professionals. And, um, but we're trying to get people to focus more. Everyone could do it. It's just mental. Pay, being a good pacer is mental. And yeah. Focused on it and working at it. It's all mental. It doesn't take like a super, super, super experienced, talented runner to be a good pacer like you can learn it anyone can learn it and the better you are at pacing and executing pace on versus what was planned the more you're going to get out of training the more you're going to improve the less you're going to get hurt so the the ui on this feature is literally like a target like an archery or like darts and so it comes out from the bullseye depending on how accurate you are so that's kind that's of that's really neat we have a little fun with it so yeah cool built into it and and we hope that people kind of see this as a new way to to kind of look at their training and it helps keep them more in line with um, what they should be doing versus um you know they're just out there trying to run as hard as they can yeah <laughs> yep <laughs> that sounds awesome well Brian, thank you so much. The information's just been, you know, entirely, entirely too valuable, and hopefully, people get the same sort of, uh, you know, benefit from it and, and excitement and enjoyment and everything. That I mean, I could literally talk about this stuff for the next three hours. So, I'm like, yeah, like we'll we'll give people a break here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you so much. I'll link, you know, where people can get to the run smart project and you know beat auto to app and just all that sort of stuff and uh that's that's wonderful so thanks again i really appreciate it 
Awesome, Carly. Thank you. It was nice chatting. Yes, ditto. All right, have a great rest of your Friday. All right, enjoy that that napper. While you oh my God, right? I, know, I think she's starting to get up, so it's good timing. <laughs> good luck. All right, take care. As a recreational or competitive athlete, if you're not feeling inspired to go out and test your current fitness level to see your true potential after listening to Brian's advice, then perhaps as a coach, you are now feeling compelled to review your client or team training programs to ensure accuracy, both in purpose and formula. Neither? Well, I suggest you go re-listen to the nitty gritty of this conversation. To understand Brian's experience is to respect his expertise as a decorated athlete who trained at a very high level for many years and then successfully translated that into the professional sphere across multiple levels, his true knowledge of the sport of running is evident in his technological developments and the coaching staff he's brought together on the VDOT platform. One can also not discount the fact that in reality, Brian has managed to achieve the aforementioned accomplishments while also maintaining wonderful relationships, including his home life with his wife and two kids really shows you can have it all. Sure is encouraging to me. As always, I've been your host, Carly Sauer, aka Coach Carly. You can find me at Iron Diamond Fitness. Y'all keep running one foot in front of the other. Chin up, eyes forward, arms pumping for power, and always remember to pick up your feet so we don't trip over the small stuff.